I felt called to lead students because it was it's just the next generation of kids. Um, Honestly, a friend called and said, would you be willing to be a small group leader for Power Life with me? And so I said, sure, why not? I didn't know much about it. And I'll just say after joining it, it has just been such a blessing. I think it's a blessing to the girls in our small group, but I think it's an even bigger blessing to us as leaders. When I was looking for a new challenge, and I hear the, the pastors at Hope all the time talking about how you got to get out of your comfort zone. Well, doing youth ministry was completely out of my comfort zone. And so I thought, well, maybe that's the direction that that I should be going. I became a small group leader because my friend Bruce Dunn called me up and asked me to co-lead a Power Life group with him, and I told him no. And he asked me to think about it and pray about it. And what Jesus told me is, I asked you to feed my sheep, not just the ones that don't annoy you. When my youngest daughter was about to go into Power Life, I felt a calling to be involved in her group. I felt called to do it because um, it's something that I wish I had growing up myself. And one of my really good friends um, had told me a story about when he reached, you know, kind of his rock bottom in his life, the thing that really kind of brought him back and gave him his base was going back to his confirmation days and, and the, the foundation that he got. My first Wednesday night, I was hooked right away. You could see the, there's just a new spark in the students um, and they're there to have fun and learn more about Jesus. I thought a lot of girls could maybe connect with my power life experience and taking what I knew from that and bringing it to the other side. Middle school is challenging. It's really, really challenging. And so to facilitate and enable a group environment, a small group environment for them where they can grow in their faith, they can build relationships with each other and really lean on each other is just such a blessing. You see their faith journey change so much just in a couple years. Um, and so I think I've been blessed, one, to build those um, awesome relationships with the kids, and then to have a chance to just help them grow spiritually uh, and with life. God's love is there now, here, everywhere, and they don't have to wait until they're cool or figure out who they are. We're just pointing them towards Jesus and then seeing them take their first steps and asking their first questions and getting excited about it for the first time. Um, it's a, it's a really special thing to be able to witness that, to be a small part of it. I think we get so caught up in our daily lives that um, you know we're running from one thing to the next. We're running from work to sports, to activities, to all kinds of things. And Wednesday nights is just such a blessing to set aside time for each other and set aside time for our faith and for God. It is so cool to see them finding that they can maintain both their innocence and going to adulthood if they're just holding someone's hand and that's Jesus. These children are so vulnerable and they share so much of their deepest, darkest fears and concerns. And I think that reminds me that I need to be more vulnerable. I really just really love watching them grow in their faith. I can't say enough about the leadership team here. You know, we are able to come, the lessons are prepared, they're ready to go. There's not a lot of prep time that's needed. We can really just walk in, immerse ourselves with our groups and have a great discussion and a great evening. So a great experience and I would definitely recommend it to anybody who's thinking about it. So I am Emily Beltram. I am your minister of children and students here at the Ankeny campus. So as I'm sure you can imagine, I think the world of the people you just saw on the screen here, it takes 
60, 70, actually 80 would give us enough to have space to grow small group leaders to make student ministry the best that it can be on Wednesday nights for middle school and high school students. Um, there are three to 400 students over the course of the year that show up on a Wednesday night here to hear about God and to get to know what these things about faith are. And Boz and Tiffany and I, as much as we love young people, we cannot make all of those kids feel seen and known the way an army of small group leaders can help all of those kids to feel seen and known and know that God loves them. And that's really what it's all about for us. Like Pastor Scott preached about last weekend. We get together, we work as a team to reach out with the everlasting love of Jesus Christ. In particular, to middle school and high school students. That is what we are all about. And, and it was really fun to get to visit with these small group leaders and hear about what had called them into being a part of that and the surprising blessings that had come out of it. Now, for them, they were surprising. But for me, that is no surprise at all because I really enjoy being around middle school and high school kids. I think that it's actually a real blessing to get a chance to hang out with those marvelous people. But of course, you guys know I'm called to work with young people, so maybe it makes sense that I would say that, but maybe this is just normal. I don't know, see if this seems normal. Um, after vacation Bible school, two weeks of vacation Bible school, pretty worn out, but just decided, you know, why not? Let's have a wrap-up party with all of the student leaders who helped out with Vacation Bible School. So after the two weeks of Vacation Bible School, we, we bought pizza, we had a movie, and can you believe this? The kids actually, at the end of the night, begged for one more VBS dance party. So we ended up, 40 middle schoolers, myself, Boz, Tiffany, uh, dancing the night away to Vacation Bible School music at the end of two weeks of Vacation Bible School. And you know what was crazy? It was a blast. It filled my cup. It gave me so much energy that I was like, man, I could do another week of Vacation Bible School after that. It's wild and crazy. And you know what? I wish you all could have been there. But I'm betting that there's at least a few people in this room right now that literally are thinking in their minds, praise the Lord that I was not there. <laughs> there are probably a number of you who are thinking, I would rather be at the dentist's office than dancing and singing with 40 middle schoolers. And you know what? You probably should prefer that. I mean, especially if you're a dentist because that's what you'd be called to then. And that's really what it's all about, is this feeling that you get, that you feel connected to something bigger than yourself. And you know that you are who you are supposed to be, that you're where you're supposed to be, doing what you're supposed to be doing. And it's pretty spectacular. For me, it happened with those middle schoolers at the end of Vacation Bible School. And for an awful lot of small group leaders, it happens almost every Wednesday night during the school year. And when that happens, you know that you know that you know in your gut the answer to the question that we're posing today, which is, what am I supposed to be and do? How do I discern God's calling? And 
It goes along with the series that we're in this month called Faith at Work and School, where we're talking about where your faith, where the rubber meets the road with your faith. Out in your everyday, real lives, what does it mean to be a person of faith? And so this weekend, we're talking about what it means to have a calling, which is almost like a a supernatural draw to a particular activity or job or way of life. And before I get too deep in our Bible passage, I thought maybe we'd want to think about an kind of an unexpected calling story that I noticed in these last couple of weeks. How long has it been since you've seen a league of their own? Did you know that it's a call story? In case you haven't seen it lately, as as this story opens, Dottie Hinson is the star of the hometown baseball league. She just hit the winning run. And her kid sister, Kit, struck out. So it's Dottie who has attracted the attention of a professional baseball scout. Could Dottie be called to baseball? Let's take a look, see what she says. I'm Ernie Cappadino, I'm a baseball scout. I saw you playing today. Not bad, not bad. You ever hear Walter Harvey makes Harvey bars? You know, the candy. Yeah, we feed them to the cows when they're constipated. That's the guy. He's starting the girls' baseball league. So we can make a buck while the boys are overseas. Want to play? Huh? Nice retort. Tryouts are in Chicago. It's a real league, professional. Professional baseball? Mm Mm-hmm. They'll pay you $75 a week. We only make 30 at the dairy. Well, then, this would be more, wouldn't it? You interested? Come on. $75 a week? Pull her leg for a while. Mine are long enough already. Look, your your country needs you, and uh, you can not only play ball, but you're kind of a dolly. That's what we're looking for. Oh, oh, now I get it. Listen, mister, I'm a married woman. My husband's overseas. Oh, relax. I'm talking looky, no touchy. Just that we want girls who are easy on the eyes. Well, I'll go. I'm ready, I'm ready right now. I gotta sign something. I don't want you. I want her, the one who hit the ball. You can climb back under the cow. She's good. She's very good. She's a pitcher. She just didn't pitch today because she pitched the day before. Well, thanks for that extra special glimpse into her life. I want you. You I saw, you I like. Now, what do you say? There's a train leaving for Chicago tomorrow. Oh, come on, what do you say? Are you in? No, thanks. Dottie. No, thanks. Hey, no skin off my ashtabula. You want to stay here plucking cows, that's your business. So Dottie has a decision to make, and it's a decision that could upend her life and her sister kids. And decisions, now that's something that you're familiar with, right? You have to make decisions all the time. You made some this morning, right? Uh, What time to get up? What are you going to wear? Who are you going to sit with? Those are some of the decisions we make all the time. And then there's like some bigger decisions, like how am I going to handle it the way my kids are bickering? What should I get my spouse for our anniversary? That can go sideways. Should I take band or should I have another study hall on my schedule this year? And then, and then there's also some decisions that we know as soon as we're confronted with them. This is a decision that could change the course of our lives. Which job do we take? What do we major in when we get to school? Who should we date? Who should we marry? 
decisions that have long-term implications, but we have to make them. And one of Hope's core values, I think it can help. Jesus is life and the rest is details. So how does that help? I mean, well, it sounds like Jesus is the only important thing. So are all these decisions that we have to make just details, not very important? I mean, because they seem important to me. These decisions end up deciding what kind of life I get to live every moment of my life. So what if, in fact, Jesus' life and the rest is details actually makes all of those decisions more important, not less? I think calling is kind of a fancy church way of talking about decision-making. I mean, our real question today is, how does faith in Jesus guide my every decision? How can it change my life? And like Dottie, she, she turns down baseball initially because she's married. Her marriage is central to her life, and all of her decisions have to fit in line with this thing that she values most about who she is, who she wants to be. Well, I think our scripture passage might have some insight on this for us. It's from the letter to the Romans, uh, chapter 12, verse 1. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. So in this passage, the writer, who is an early church leader named Paul, he's talking to believers. That's why he says, dear brothers and sisters. So he's specifically talking to people who agree that Jesus is life. So if you're someone who got dragged here this morning by a friend or who's just kind of figuring this out, hasn't really decided whether you're in, I have good news for you. We are not going to ask you to sacrifice your body to God in church today. <laughs> Lucky, right? But uh, for the rest of you, <laughs> well, a living sacrifice? This, this seems pretty intense, doesn't it? So I really think that it could use maybe a little bit of context. So up until the New Testament, the people of God were the ancient Hebrew people, the Jewish people. And according to the Old Testament, staying right with God, making up for their mistakes, um, for their sin, they had to offer animal sacrifices for that to work. If you remember the story at the very beginning of the Bible, Cain and Abel, vegetables were not an acceptable sacrifice. So staying connected to God required death, death. But Jesus came and turned this arrangement on its head by the, by the way that he died and came back to life. Death was no longer necessary to make up for our mistakes. Most of actually the, the whole first cha 12 chapters of this letter to the Romans that Paul wrote is an extended explanation of what God has done for us. And so now in this passage, he changes his attention from what God has done to us, to how we can respond to God's gift of grace that he has offered us through Jesus. So using the language of sacrifice, he's turning it upside down. 
It is no longer death that is required to stay connected to God. Now it is about the life that you get to live in response to the constant connection to God that is available through the Holy Spirit and made possible by what Jesus did. That's why we say things like, Jesus is life, life. And that phrase, that phrase about giving your bodies, well, that is pointing to the fact that following Jesus is an embodied thing. It's not just something that we say. It's not just something that we believe on the inside. If we mean it, then we act like believers. It becomes who we are. So it changes what we do. Like how Dottie, she isn't sure that her choice to move her body to Chicago and use it to play professional baseball matches her priority of being married. But baseball pays better than plucking cows. And her husband is overseas anyway, so he's not going to miss her. And her little sister Kit is just adamant and passionate about doing this. So she does. She gets herself and Kit into the tryout. They end up playing professional baseball. And it turns out that Dottie is an extraordinarily good baseball player. She's leading her team to the World Series. It's amazing. But she's actually overjoyed when that's disrupted because her husband unexpectedly comes back from overseas. So as this next scene unfolds, the team is getting on the bus, but Dottie isn't. And her team manager, Jimmy, played by Tom Hanks, there's no crying in baseball, remember that? Okay, he is just baffled. How could someone who is so good at baseball be willing to turn down the opportunity to play professionally. Let's take a look at what Dottie says. Write to us, we'll miss you. We will, thanks. Good luck in the World Series. Taking a little day trip? No. Um, Bob and I are driving home to Oregon. You know, I really thought you were a ball player. Well, you were wrong. Was I? Yeah. It is only a game, Jimmy. It's only a game, and, and I don't need this. I have Bob. I don't need this. I don't. I gave away five years at the end of my career to drinking. Five years. And now there isn't anything I wouldn't give to get back any one day of it. Well, we're different. He knows that Dottie loves baseball. I mean, you can see she's conflicted. And he gives his testimony, right? He got his priorities out of whack. And he traded in baseball for alcohol. And now that Dottie has actually helped him give up the alcohol, he can look back and see it so clearly that he has a deep regret. 
that he does not want her to someday have. Because that's the thing, right? If knowing that you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, that you're in the right place doing the right thing is deeply satisfying, well, the opposite, that causes deep regret. We don't want to miss our calling. We don't want to end up somewhere that we look back and say, that is not where I was supposed to be. That is not who I was supposed to end up being. And it's tough. It's tough because it's not static. It's a, it's a, it develops, it changes, it progresses. It's a moving target. I mean, that's actually another core value that we have here at Hope. Following Jesus is a growing experience. If you've decided to follow Jesus, you can't stay put. And if you're saying, well, I'm all in. Jesus is life. Let's get this growing thing going. What do I do next? Well, let's see. What does Paul have to say about that? He says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Following Jesus is a growing experience. Transformation is change. Growing is change. Unlike the things you might have heard about the church, we should be expecting change around here. If we're experiencing God, if the Holy Spirit is growing us and guiding us, leading us to a new life, well then, things should be obviously and visibly changing in our lives and collectively in the life of the church. So, so how does God do this? How does he transform us? How do we let God change the way we think? Well, first of all, we have to loosen our grip on what we already think. Let me say that again. The first thing we have to do is to loosen our grip on what we already think. That is hard for us. In fact, it's, it's kind of a hot-button issue these days that seems to kind of feed into all of the other hot-button issues. We're kind of hard-headed. And, and the good news is, I guess, if it's good news, when you look back over Scripture, you'll see that you're in good company. We are all in good company. It turns out that um, in order to experience God's transformation, some people have to hear God's voice through a burning bush. Moses. <laughs> Jacob, Jacob who becomes Israel, like the one that the whole nation gets named after. He has to wrestle with an angelic being for an entire night. And then he gets a hip injury because he needs a reminder for the rest of his life that that happened. And, and Paul who was Saul the Christian hater, and now he's Paul the apostle who's writing the, book of Ro the letter to the Romans? Well, he was so hard-headed, Jesus had to come blind him to get his attention. So there's kind of good news for us because most of us can actually follow Jesus and live a satisfying life without God having to light anything on fire. That's pretty good news, I think. And there's a bonus. There's a bonus here because the very same process that helps us discern our calling, what God is asking of us, 
That same process softens our soft heads. It softens our hard heads. If you had a soft head, it wouldn't need softening. Yeah. Softens our hard heads. So what is that process? What is that thing that can help us discern our calling and also maybe loosen our grip on the things that we already think? Well, one is scripture, the Bible. It's a great place to start. It holds thousands of years of record of humanity's relationship with God which is pretty amazing. And as Christians, we start in the Gospels, the stories about Jesus. We pay close attention to the things that Jesus said, the things he taught, the stories he told. And we understand the whole rest of Scripture through that lens of Jesus, the Christ. And I'll tell you what, it's a pretty remarkable collection of writing. Um, In places where it's illegal to have a religion, where, where the church cannot publicly exist. Sometimes people get their hands on God's word and fall in love with Jesus. And without any help or guidance, underground pockets of underground churches spring up in places where they're not even allowed to have faith. This library of, of writing, it is sacred to us for a very good reason. So it's a great place to start. It's where we get most of our guidance on what God wants from us. But prayer, prayer is also helpful. Prayer is a pretty direct channel between yourself and what God might have to say to you. Um, I know when I was a kid, I kind of had a tendency to think of prayer as like a wish list that started with, Dear Jesus, and ended with, In Jesus' name, amen. As, as I've grown, as I've learned, as I've aged, as my relationship with God has changed, I just find that more and more of my prayer time has fewer and fewer words and more time spent listening and feeling for God's presence with me and God's guidance for me. Another way that we can figure out whether those ideas that we've come up with actually match with God's intentions is to be among God's people Maybe you'll be worshiping, we'll be singing a song together, and it'll connect with something that you've been working on and just point the way to what God would have for you. I know um, people who preach often will tell you that you'll get feedback from people about what they experienced, the guidance that they got from your message that is like way, way different and more than what you ever thought that you were actually saying. There are ways that the Holy Spirit takes advantage of our willingness to gather together among God's people. So that can be a valuable way to understand what God wants from you. It's actually a promise that Jesus made that when two or more gather in his name, he is there. And we see, we we experience that all the time. Another way that can help you soften your head and discern God's calling is Finding a mentor. Now, we think of this with kids all the time. I mean, it's just logical. The elementary kids, when they have power life kids that come and help do their crafts with them, they develop an excitement for confirmation that is remarkable. When power life kids have ignition students that come and and serve and are part of, of their small group experience, They just develop this sense that they want their faith to keep growing through high school. The same when college students come to Ignition. It's just this thing that we know that everybody needs somebody to look up to. That's maybe just a couple more steps down the road 
and gives them an idea of where they might be headed next. And sometimes it can be someone who's way further down the road that gives you a sense of where you want to go over, over the long term in this life of faith, of following Jesus. And we know that. We know it makes sense for kids. But the thing is that that doesn't stop with graduation. All of us, at any point in our journey, we should always have somebody we look up to. So if you don't know who that is, just right out of hand, then be thinking about that. Who is someone whose faith you admire, that you can look up to, that can mentor you and help you grow in faith? In a league of their own, Dottie's younger sister, Kit, has no choice but to look up to her. Uh, That's because she's way taller than Kit. But also because Dottie is an extraordinary leader and baseball player. And actually, Kit gets pretty tired of that. She gets resentful, and she ends up getting traded to another team because of the conflict that that creates. And Jimmy must have had something right about how Dottie feels about baseball because Dottie actually turned back up to come play in the World Series. And, you know, movie magic, the sisters' teams just happen to be playing each other in the final game of the World Series. And it's down to the final out. And let's see what happens. Last batter standing in Rockford's way is Kit Keller. Kit is one for three today. High fastballs. She can't hit him. Can't lay off him. All right.
happened. Dottie is the star of the league. She doesn't drop balls. She could catch a foul ball while doing the splits. Come on. Her scrappy, scrawny little sister tackling her at home plate? That is not going to make Dottie Henson drop the ball. Whatever. You know why Dottie drops the ball. Dottie drops the ball because as much as she loves baseball, it is not her calling. And let me be clear, I do not think that a league of their own is an allegory for women in their working lives that somehow we all have to emulate Dottie's choice here. I think that men and women should be willing to emulate the fact that Dottie is willing to give up something she loves in exchange for something that matters more. And for these days, right now, there seem to be a lot of things that we love that might interfere with what matters more, what God really wants for us. Uh, one of our small group leaders, Joe Young, he, he shared something that I, I feel like points this out. Uh, he did not share on camera, but he sent me an email about his calling and the blessings that he experienced. And he said something that really struck me about what to him was most precious. So listen to what he said here. The church has done so much for me over the course of my life, and looking back, it hit me that the majority of my contributions were money. Money was easy to give. Time was more difficult. And the only reason, and the only resource I could not get more of, making it very precious. It was at that moment that I made giving back a priority. Yeah, Joe's, Joe's statement, it really struck me because, you know, churches kind of get a reputation for always wanting your money, right? I mean, hope tries to be very intentional about how we ask for money because of that. And, and I'll be honest, you know what? The lights and the air conditioning, like, we get a bill for that. <laughs> and the staff, the staff really appreciates when they can eat and live indoors, like, those are, money does matter. I'm not pretending like it doesn't, but, but the thing that we know is we know that we can trust God, and we know that we can trust you. So thank you so much, church, for how faithful you have been in taking care of, of this church and keeping this church going that way. But, but isn't it obvious in Joe's statement that, that God is doing something? God is changing the way Joe thinks I mean, he realizes that time is actually his most precious gift and that he needs to give what is most precious. And so he followed the calling to give his time so that a bunch of young men would have someone to look up to, to help them grow in faith. And I know I've been sharing a lot about student ministry. It's pretty near and dear to my heart. And I would absolutely love it if God was nudging a whole bunch of you to come and reach out, especially men. Um, our boys' small groups are larger than we would like them to be. So guys, I'd love to hear from you. But don't think you're off the hook, ladies. We, we need women too. It would be really awesome if our roster was full and I could spend the next couple of weeks just prepping for fall instead of trying to recruit small group leaders. That would be awesome. But the fact of the matter is that that may not be exactly your calling. Every ministry team in our church right now 
is in a building process. They're trying to grow their teams because guess what? We're opening another worship service next month. It's amazing. Here's the thing. Following Jesus is a growing experience, and we anticipate that this church is going to continue to grow deep and wide. And so if you have that like weird feeling happening in you right now, that you're like, maybe I do have an hour a week that I could share, or maybe it's just an hour a month. If you are willing to give that, we will treasure your precious gift. And I haven't even gotten to the payoff. Do you want to know what it pays? I'm sure you do. Let's look at what Paul says. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. I mean, you probably heard it in my story about the wrap-up party, in, in the stories of the small group leaders about watching young people grow in faith. You've probably seen it in a Hope Cafe worker as they call your name and hand you a well-crafted beverage. You see it in the worship team when they're raising their hands in praise. And, and you know what? You can see it in the production and facilities team too when these chairs are all set out and the lighting is set and they're just waiting for you to come and worship. The payoff is intense satisfaction. It's incredible the feeling that you get. And whatever you do for your profession, or if you're a student, whatever school you go to, whatever activities you're a part of, if you are living out your belief that Jesus is life and staying humble and letting God work to change your mind, to change the way you think and grow you in faith, then even on those hard days, even when you have to give up something you're very attached to, you will find that what God has in store for you is good and pleasing and perfect. Because when God is transforming your thinking, when your life is more and more looking like Jesus in every choice and detail, the promise is that you will experience a satisfaction like no other. God's will for you is good and pleasing and perfect. And I don't know what each of you might need to give up to let that be a bigger part of your life. That's, that's between you and God, honestly. But what I can tell you is this. If you decide that that's what you're going to do, you will never regret it. 